when we look at things from an intentional place, the values that come to the surface are responsibility and ownership, that whatever is occurring, whatever is the results are a reflection of where we're coming from, not the results just happen to be happening. And those are results from something outside of us or a decision we made three months ago. The decision three months ago is what generating the results instead of how we've continued to decide to stick with this shitty strategy. I'm responsible for that as well. So if you like if you're if you if you're if you're debriefing it, you're debriefing a breakdown with low level of ownership, there's really no possibility of some new results happening because the new plan will go in the in the context or in the hands of the low level of ownership person. So you might get lucky. We've all heard and used the term the right people in the right seat. It's catchy, it sounds nice, but is it reality? I believe that it's not that simple. Hello, my friends, my name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high-stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There is no conversation too risky. This week, Dan, Adrian, and I sit down to chat about the idea of right people in the right seat. In order for you as a leader to win, you must have a team that will help you get there. Otherwise, a vision is just a pipe dream. How do you pick who is on your team? How do you make sure they are contributing and not taking? How much time and mental energy do you spend thinking, worrying, and taking action on this very challenge of having the right people in the right seats? What if the nature of the challenge is much different than you think? What if you could create a culture where people choose their seat and become the right person for it? Let's dive in. Gentlemen, so good to be with you. Yeah, good to be here too. Always good to be here with you. Let's dive right in. Well, actually, before we dive right in, I want to I want to mention really quick um, an opportunity that we have coming up in November, which is called Icon. And uh, if you listen to one of our uh, one of our past episodes, it was probably two episodes ago. You could hear the topic which we're going after in this experience called Icon in Northern Italy. So come out, be with us in Italy. You can go back and listen to that episode. Um, the episode is is something about the crisis of success. I can't remember exactly what it's titled now, uh, but you go listen to that and get some context around. What happens when success becomes a crisis and the yep. question of what's next becomes a crisis? And that's really what we're exploring in Italy together. So it's a very limited seating and it's application only. You can, uh, there, there'll be a link for Icon in the description in the show notes for this episode and for that episode that I'm directing you back to. Uh, you go get all the information there. Um, but join us in Italy if this is something that you feel like is going to catapult you into the next realm of the icon. On mm-hmm. Lake Agda at La Fee Resort. Don't miss it. Don't yeah. miss it. It's going to be that incredible. Episode, that episode's called Plan for Success or it will become a uh, crisis. Yes. Plan for and your I, success. I think, for... And I, I, my, my thoughts on that are, you know, we do plan to become successful. We just don't, we don't plan to how to be and sustain success. Like yep. So much uh, of our work with founders is they've, they hit it. They did it. They built the company. The idea worked. They, you know, started making 10, 20, 30, 100, $500 million. 
and might even sold the company and exited. And then they hit this existential crisis, which you don't have to hit. Most people, when they, you know, win, they go into the deepest depression of their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and that's because they have a pretty anemic conversation about who they are. Right. So on. it's such a shame that people really suffer because they actually hit their goal. <laughs> the irony of it all. The that's irony right. of it all. So that's why I don't hit my goals because I don't want that iron. <laughs> Save yeah. yourself from the risk. That's so right. If you're listening, if you're listening and you've got a big goal, um, it's great to go start this conversation now. Even if you're even if your big game is like ten years away, or if you're connected to somebody that hit it or is are close to hitting it and you care about them and they're already they're complaining about it maybe already. They're 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 already in it right now and they're challenged by it. And usually there's lots of interpersonal breakdown on the backside of that kind of ambitious success. Um so feel free. And if you don't know if if they don't know if they're the right person for it, uh feel free to just connect with us. Um you know how to connect with us via the podcast or Instagram. And we can just talk to them and talk to them about what the conversation is, who's gonna be in the room, if it's a good fit for them or not. So care for your people in your life. Uh, cause yeah, yeah it sucks to like, bur- to build something great and then burn it all down. Yep. Yep. Or to burn right down. On. Right on. Well, let's dive in. So this week I wanted to talk about this idea of getting the right people. I'm going to use quotation marks the right people in the right seats in our company. And I think who was it that, um, I- I'm not, I don't know who the author was. Jim, that- Jim Collins. What is it? Jim Collins. Jim Collins. He wrote, he wrote Built to Last and um, From Good to Great. Good That's to great. right. Great. So the metaphor of the bus, right? That's that's where it comes from? Great. Yep. So I wanted to dive into this because I was noticing, so we've, you know, we have done um, a few off-sites and on-sites over the last couple of weeks. We've been all over the place. Yep, And we've been with some really amazing teams and some teams who are going through transition, some teams who are wondering whether or not they have the right people in the right place. This is a term or an idea that has been thrown around a lot in conversation. I wanted to dig into it to actually get some, get some grounding on what are we actually talking about when we say the right people at the right place? Because I think there are some misconceptions in here when people use this term and I I'm just, you know, been sniffing some of it with some of my own clients. Um, but I want to get, I want to dive in with you two and get, get clear on what it is that you see when we talk about this. So let's talk first. Let's just get very basic. So you want to, it's called Chad's chunking. We're chunking yeah. out. That's right. Chunk this shit down. Um, I want to talk about this idea of Right. Um, when we get the right people in the right seats, yeah. And well, the oh, go ahead, Aid, please. I was just thinking what what's usually occurring is we get known people in an acceptable seat. <laughs> That's usually my experience with teams is that you know they've they've hired people, and then this person's been around for five years. And so we kind of shape a seat around them. So just to kind of get, I think for some folks, if they think about, or how do I connect to this or what might be going on, what pain might be going on, frustrations might be going on inside my company. How much do I keep talking myself 
into keeping this person and I shape a seat for their oddly shaped body. Yeah, and I think that's grounded into uh, I'm familiar with them, and so right. I know what to expect, and that's safer than putting somebody who might be even more qualified and know more than I do about it, and I won't know how to work with them. Like, I know how to work with this person, even though they're mediocre. Yes. Mediocre yeah. meaning yep. their performance is mediocre. Right, so the right. right. The right person is really more about matching matching the competency with the job and then the attitude with the job, you know, and, and there's a lot of pain in there because look, you, you, if, if you're, if you're a founder and you've got somebody you're familiar with and they produce, they've, they've been a past producer uh, and now you've elevated them because you know, you can count on them from the past position, but they might not be quite the fit that you want you start dicing the position up and you start working around their insufficiencies because you're comfortable with them. That's not the right person in the right place, but it feels good to Adrian's point. It yeah. feels good. It's comfortable. You enjoy sitting down at the table because you're not disturbed. You're not edged towards something you're uncomfortable about. So, well, and to keep kind of focusing on the pain of the situation, the, um, you know, a lot of founders, my experience is that a, a lot, majority at least, of founders we work with are not the most relationally savvy people, should we say? Um, and I think a lot of times they find themselves giving themselves credit for what they'll call loyalty. Mm. Like, I've known this person, and they've been with me since the beginning. Adrian, they've been with me since the beginning. Everybody else left, and blah, 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 and this person has been with me. Now, call that loyalty to them. <laughs> when this person might be the only constant in every break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might be. <laughs> that, that's that's right. happened, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Have you really thought about that? I mean... A lot of times, uh, those folks think... are like the security... They're also the security blanket. Well, I, I'm, that, I'm, I'm relating just from a past experience of my own where somebody was very competent as a, what they did. Oh, who was they it? Just tell us. over the department. Just and, and And gradually, some of the more unconventional or unorthodox players who were excellent started to spin out because it, one, this person that was in that position was stating that they're structuring this to make it more professional, to scale it. And the others were saying, well, we're squeezing the life out of what we're doing, the creativity, where everything is scripted, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, and I remember not listening because it was like a security blanket. I could count on this person doing what I didn't want to do any longer. Yeah. And so it was okay for me in, at the, in that moment that, this was happening because this person was handling all of the things I didn't want to do. And I lost some really, we lost some really, it was really detrimental. We lost great talent and it was, I don't think we ever replaced it. But I, I when I look back at it, I remember connected to what you said, Adrian, it was a, it was a security blanket for me. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I think about when I think about this idea of the right person it, it, to me, for me, I, in the past, I've used it as an excuse, right? So 
in my media production company, um, in, in our heyday, when somebody didn't work out, what I could tell myself is, oh, they're not the right person for that role or they're not the, you know, and really what was lacking was my leadership. Yeah. Was my willingness yes, it, like when you say say what you mean by that? At least part of what it at least part of what was contributing to it was was the lack of my leadership, my investment in them, how I saw them, how I was willing to develop them, when I was willing to give feedback, when I wasn't. I also wasn't clear on, and this is another topic that I want to talk to you guys about: is I wasn't very clear on what kind of organization we were, meaning. Was I, were we committed to bringing in people who were up to it now, or were we wanting to develop people into roles? And, uh, you know, it was just so much of it was a lack of clarity for me. Uh, and, and then I could easily write it off as like, oh, they're not the right person. Yep. Now let me go and find somebody who is the right person. Well, guess what happened to the next person? <laughs> Same thing. Same, Same. thing. Yeah. And that's thing. what I really, th I feel like that's dangerous. I think that's a, a huge danger in this conversation when we're talking with leaders and founders, when they start talking about the right person. And I personally am still trying, not trying, I am still exploring what's the, how do we delineate between we're developing people to be the right person uh, if we believe that the results that we have on our team are, you know, we create the results that we have in our team, that we should be able to either invite somebody into being the right person or they got to go. Are we paying attention to that? How much are we willing to develop and how much do we want to just get, you know, right off the shelf, plug somebody in and they're the right person? Well, you know, there's only two breakdowns we can have with people. And one of them is competency and the other one's attitude. And I think the more difficult side, obviously, is attitude. And I, it, attitude is usually best correctable up front, but that's when we're most, at least I am speaking for myself at times, less apt just naturally to put, to want to get involved in a level where we're talking about that person's attitude. So, you know, that's that's one of the big deals I've noticed that common with some of the people we work with is the time to have corrected something was at the beginning when you saw the attitude not working. Mm -hmm. You and I have been through this with some hires before, and and Chad, you and I just had a conversation about this this weekend, and and getting the attitude straight up front is so much more. You know, if you think about the the struggle after, if you don't, if you don't do that, what happens? Well, shit. Now you've tacitly agreed with an attitude that is going to pollute the culture because they're going to they might be entitled they might be complaining they may may be arrogant or de detached in a way that you know isolates other team members who have dependencies and and rather than talk to them because I don't want to upset the apple cart I don't want to micromanage or I don't want to set up an, an adversarial relationship as if I couldn't work through that so I let it go now that goes for a while, and then when I go do talk to that person, what I'm doing is I'm telling them that for this long I've been withholding it, so now they're going to get suspicious. Now we've got a whole other can of worms that we have to work through. So it, it's an interesting, it's really an interesting tension, and I think it's it's certainly complex. And if you're in, at if you're moving at the speed of startup, 
it's easy to overlook. It's easy to just go on with what's easy, Tempting. you know, what's most convenient in the long run, and it's going to grow into a monumental uh, blocker at some point. Yeah. So when you talk about right person, I think it should always have an asterisk next to it because it's just naive. The whole idea of the right person, that's a naive concept. Yes. Because there are ways in which I show up for my for this team, for my team. There are ways in which I show up for the team that's really powerful and really helpful and really engaging and really inviting and really convicting and all those sides. And there's ways that I show up for this team that aren't. That are like oh, link some on, of those, eh? Yeah, well, like when I'm on sure. Like when I'm on cruise control, that's happened. Um, or when I'm uh, you know, a little bit of a prima donna at times, or uh, or probably the biggest thing for me is when I'm uh playing Switzerland and I'm instead of just standing and like sharing what's there. <laughs> and you know, when I really fully don't own my voice, like I'm not the right person in that context, like that right. way, like I'm showing up in a way that I'm not the quote unquote right person. There's ways that I show up that I'm the right person, but you know, the whole right person idea is a very static view of humans. Like, Oh, this person yeah. is this yeah. type of person this way all the time. And that's naive. And it's a lie first. And we know it's a lie. Um, and, but then we act like it's not a lie. And then to your point, all this happens where we start to be unwilling to have the, um, very robust conversation or set the framework early that, hey, there's an aspects of your personality, aspects of how you engage, aspects of your history, aspects of your, you know, skill set, uh, attitude, all that. There's those aspects. We got to be clear about those. When you show up as that, that's what we want here. And there's also yeah, ways in good. which you're, you're passive aggressive or you're avoidant or you're uh, just passive or you're just aggressive or blah, blah, blah whatever there's there's those things that you're actually not the right person when you show up as that. So I think we no. approach this in a very static view, which sets the whole thing up and which, you know, it's yeah. good. It's easy to sell static views because it's like, Oh, there is a unicorn out there. I just got to go find them. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe, I don't know what Collins was thinking when he was writing that, but you know, it's good for a bumper sticker, but it's just not true. Yeah, yeah, because you could be the right person in one instance and the wrong person in the next. Right on. And your point about, I think the other blocker is creating, like as a founder, I know for myself, you want somebody to be the right person because, damn, you got enough already to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm paying this person and shit, they ought to know what to do and learn how to fit in <laughs> and how long do they want to pretend like they don't know and, uh, and then we get resentful because they're not the ideal, and that actually contributes to their un undermining them, because now right. I'm going to resent them for not being the ideal or having yeah. moments where they're off, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's that it's that breakdown that I see very common in this conversation for founders mm -hmm. of, of the right people yep. in the right place, I, and it, you know I'm, I we've been in this conversation with one of our current clients. And I was in a coaching call with one of them earlier this week and they were lamenting this idea of like, oh, I don't know if we have the right people in this spot or I don't know if we have the right person in this chair. And I said, my question was, well, who is the right person? Tell them, tell me about them. And they couldn't. Yeah. yeah. They, they had zero clarity on what 
So it, it was more of like their their response was more of a, well, I'll know it when I see it. Sure. And, and, Isn't that convenient? I'm just thinking, and, if I said that to my wife, it would be a long, cold night. <laughs> I'll know. Yeah, would you just like... Eileen, I need I need you to do I need something I need you to be the right person. Well, what what is that? I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. So my my comment just points to, you know, before we can decide or before we can get on the train of like, oh, they're not the right person in the right seat, or we need the right person in the right seat. You must be clear about the person and the seat. What is the seat that they're filling? absolute clarity and specificity and who is it that would be the idea fulfillment (laughs) and then even further than that and how much are you willing to develop somebody into that or how much do you want it to be turnkey Uh yeah yeah it's good how much do you want it to be turnkey yeah how much is it possible to be turnkey right particularly if your business is got any unique differentiators they need to be onboarded and understand how to relate to those differentiators and how to understand and relate to what the priorities are that the team's aiming at and what's acceptable and not in that that whole process i know you know onboarding is probably one of the biggest downsides we deal with working with very common blocker is that people know what their job is but they they're not quite sure what the outcomes are or where the resources are or how to access those resources or what, you know, there's just a number of things that come up in the onboarding process that can leave people in a, in a very painful kind of um, purgatory. Like, how do I move forward? And if they don't ask, if they're not, willing to lead themselves, then the tensions, again, the tension starts to grow. So how does one decide if it's time to look for somebody else to fill a seat? Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now The possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate what's effective and what's ineffective, what your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want 
in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. To fill a known seat? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you at least start with results. <laughs> what do you, you mean? Know? Well. That's, that's weird. Tell me more about that. Results? Yeah. Well, this is a common tension for folks. Um, and, and they don't talk about it. They, getting, getting to be more common because people don't, are moving away from the idea that they need to perform and and produce results to be actually on the team. Yep. There's other criterion that people tend, that can be more important or at least up front are more important until the lack of results catches up. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, a lot, this happens a ton uh, where, especially when we're starting off working with a client and we'll talk about what's what's happening in the company and what the results are and who's creating what results and there's there's typically always a person or two and sometimes the entire senior leadership team that has has been there just because they've been there and there's not an explicit conversation around actually i'm paying you to generate something that generates certain results i'm paying you this is it's a value exchange i'm paying you this amount of money and for that amount of money i'm expecting these results um they no one Rarely do I hear somebody have the conversation that's that clear um, with their person. But, you know, so if you've, if you're, uh, how do you know? Well, step one is, do we know the outcomes that that role is called to deliver? And, you know, it's not like, uh, it always bog- bothers me, the whole job description idea. Um, even the phrase bothers me. It's like a description of a job instead of, the promises of a position. Because um, if I'm in a position, there's a whole set of promises that are that right. are baked into that position. And promises like, this will happen because I'm here, these results will happen. Most people don't orient themselves that way. And then they you know, get caught up in the kabuki theater of justifying hey. or minimizing or, or you know, uh, uh, doing a whole lot of work to not have the essential conversation, which starts with, hey, let's get clear on you know three months from now, these are the results I want to see from your efforts and from your teams. Yeah. Well, you're, so, but you're, you're also speaking from the, it's really interesting because you're speaking from a perspective of a competency framework. And a lot of times people aren't thinking from a competency framework. At least you could have people coming in thinking from a, let's say a, perspective of making sure you have the right mix of race and 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 that kind of thing and then competency isn't as important and that may that that will cause confusion sure that'll cause because if i'm being hired because of my race or my color or my background or you know because i need to make quotas that's very distinct from i'm being hired to produce something and the mm-hmm. minute that that happens and somebody doesn't produce, now what? Because yeah. eventually that's gonna that knot's gonna come through the cone, uh, particularly if it's a publicly owned company 
or privately owned company and the investors are looking for results, right? So now now you've got a natural tension built in. Uh-huh. And th- these are these are the kinds of thinking that a lot of people aren't really thinking about when they when they start to make radical changes about what they're doing and how they're bringing people on the bus. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's a it it it's a it's a it, it's like thinking this way too. There's another way. If if I'm if I think that in like we talk about intention mechanism, right? If I think the intent, if I think that results are produced because of an intention, a clear and stated intention, and I'm going to work it out, or I think it's produced because we have the right mechanism. If you got half the team that thinks it's a mechanism and half the team that thinks it's intention, when they sit down to break down a breakdown, you're going to have conflict and you won't know why. Because if they're looking and listening for different things. Right, man. What does that, what does that uh, breakdown typically look like, Dan? Do you have any examples that you can yeah, think of? Yeah, like let's say we sit down. Let's say we, we're, we, you know, we're going to have... We're a sales organization. We're going to produce so many sales by a certain date, and we get we get, you know, we're one quarter of the way. We're doing a recognition meeting, and we're where we see that we're behind. We that we're behind our checkpoint. Now, some people are going to sit down and say, "Okay, let's talk about what we're thinking about here. Let's what 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 are the results? What's working? What's not working? And how are you relating to that? Like what to understand what people's true intentions are? Because based on results." the intentions is probably to produce something else. Yeah. The other group of people are going to sit down and go, okay, good. Let's talk strategy. Let's talk about what we can do, what mechanism we can employ to get that done. So now you have a natural tension because those who are looking for understanding what people are really aiming at because they can see that the results are a result of some other intention which could be, I, you know, I don't want to take a risk. I want to stay safe. I want to make sure I have my routine in. I don't want to break my routine. I don't want to get unreasonable. Uh, and, and so there, I might go along and make these commitments and go and set the structure in and do it. These people are going to say, well, let's make it clear about what we're really doing here. While the other people are going to go, look, that's, a, that's psychobabble. Let's not do that. We need to get a strategy. This last strategy didn't work. Let's employ another one. And that's that's the essence of the arguments that are going to go on between them, right? Makes sense. That's, and that could be a real breakdown. And how do you clear that up? That's what we do. We go in, we actually, yeah, to get that clear, you got to get people on the same page and looking at the problem together from a perspective that's going to open up a possibility. And, of course, we're going to talk about, let's look at it from an intentional place, and if we get the intention really clear, then the mechanism or the strategy will emerge from the expertise that's in the room. Yeah. So another way, another way of looking at that is like um, when we look at things from an intentional place, uh, the values that come to the surface are responsibility and ownership. Yep. Like mm-hmm. That whatever's happening, whatever is occurring, whatever is the results are a reflection of where we're coming from not the results just happen to be happening and those are results from something outside of us or a decision we made three months ago. 
that's the decision three months ago is what generating the results instead of, oh no, um, how we've continued to decide to stick with this shitty strategy. I'm responsible for that as well. Yeah. So it's, it's increased ownership. So if you like, if you're, if you're, if you're you're debriefing it, you're debriefing a breakdown with low level of ownership. There's really no possibility of some new results happening because the new plan will go in the, in the context or in the hands of the low level of ownership person. So you might get lucky. Give a specific example of what you mean there. Sure. So let's say we had an offsite three months ago and we set out some goals for these three months. And all of a sudden we have this checkpoint and we, you know, want to debrief what's not working. So people are going to start talking about the plan, i.e. the mechanism and what's not working about that. Uh, If you come at it from an intentional view, you're naturally going to say, well, how long let's okay. So anybody around, how long, Tom, how long have you noticed that it's not been working? If, especially if Tom's the guy that's like the bright one that's now pointing out the flaw in the system. And you'll you ask Tom, oh, how long have you noticed this hasn't been working, man? That's a question Tom doesn't want to answer because it's it will illuminate his personal responsibility in the breakdown. His intention, yeah. That's his, right. Yep. See? Yep. So it'll reveal, potentially reveal, that Tom's known it's not working for two of the three months. And now all of a sudden, Tom's a guy. He's always been this guy, but now it's revealing that he's this type of guy, that he's okay with less results as long as he gets to be the glorified cynic in the in the story. Like, I knew it wasn't working. I always knew it wouldn't work. Told you guys in that last meeting that it wouldn't work. And now here we go. And now we know what Tom's up to. Tom's up to being right instead of generating results. That's not even a problem necessarily, but it's something to notice about Tom that as long as he gets to be right, he might let cost the company millions of dollars. Don't be like Tom. Don't be like (laughs) Tom. So one of the questions that, you know, you talk about results. Results is how we know if we have somebody in the right place at the right time, or sorry, right, right seat, right person, right seat. Um, what happens, or this is a question that I've gotten lots in in coaching conversations around this topic. How long, or how do we know how long we wait for the results to happen before we decide that it's the wrong person in the wrong seat? Because people are going to miss results. It happens. How do we, or I'm not, I'm not phrasing, I mean, I know how to phrase the question as a client would ask it. I don't, I don't know how to phrase it to, to jog the the conversation here, but the question that gets asked is like, well, how long am I, how long do I need to watch them for? How long do they need to be in the place to know if they can create results or not? That's a, that's a very sticky, that's not a very, the question's a problem. Sure. I get it, but that's what I want to discuss. Yeah. I mean, I would, because how long assumes I'm doing what's necessary to support them. Right. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I am. So I have to determine that. How many people, like, there's a whole forensics I'd want to chunk into, like, 
how many other people have I had in this position who've suffered the same fate? Is the story the same? Do I have the same story for this person as I had with them? Because I want to identify, am I, am, how much of this breakdown can I own? To Adrian's point about personal responsibility and how much of it, you know, like how much can I own to get to the bottom of it? And so that's that's the first step I'd take is like I, I let me just check in on myself. As you know, is this an ongoing struggle? How much am I missing? Who else? What other eyes can I pull in to help me see mm-hmm. this person? Not that this person. I mean, there's certainly they've got to be responsible, but I got to start there so I can own my part in it. And then what conversations? Like I, I would I always like to listen to the nature of my complaints. So what are the nature of my complaints and what are they telling me about what I've been unwilling to ask for from this person? And that'll help me see what intention I've been operating with. Because normally, if I, my point here is, if I'm really living that way, they're either going to get up to it or they're going to get themselves out. Mm-hmm. Generally. And, and, and if I'm doing my job well at supporting them to get up for it, I'm going to have all the documentation to have them logically see why they're not the person for that seat. It's yeah. just that when I, you know, if I, they, I set them out on their job and I give them their objectives, et cetera, I don't talk to them for three months and I haven't worked with them and I, you know, I'm only just trying to get them to do something and, and I'm not involved in, in their direct report to me. Well, that's another issue, right? That, so, you know, but that normally that gets chunked down because, if I've had a couple of them, then pretty soon they're on to me and I've got to get smarter, right? I've got to get more aware of what's wanted and needed. So this is this is what this is exactly what I hoped they would agitate, is that what I hear you saying, Dan, is that there's there are much more powerful, impactful questions you could be asking yourself. Rather myself, than yeah. how myself. long do, what's that? I start with myself yes. so that when I get to that person, I can own I could talk about the issue, all how I've contributed to it, and really see what level they're willing to, and then get shoulder to shoulder and set up a, you know, I'm going to shorten the chain so that we're reporting earlier, and then I'm going to manage it or lead it and, and, and work with them. And they're either going to get up to it or going to get out because the tension's going to come up about producing the result and having the conversations that are wanted and needed and really breaking the problem down in a way that's beneficial take action and, and produce a result. What I yeah. think is what I think is hidden in that question that I asked is like how long should we, you know, keep them around to see if they'll create the results. What I think is hidden in that question is a posture and attitude by the leader of, well, let me just sit back and watch and wait and see if they'll actually do this thing, if they'll actually create the results. And, and that's right. And then if they don't, you've got to shorten the chain. You gotta shorten the, the feedback loop. Sure. Because that's how you chunk. That's how you find out what's wanted and needed. And I think most people don't want to do that because they feel like that's micromanaging. When in fact, we're just together trying to get eyes on it and really understand what's wanted and needed. And if the person is unwilling to do that, if they're unwilling to play that kind of game, then they're probably the wrong person for the seat. Right. Right. And you, you also talked about, you also mentioned something that this is ultimately where I wanted to, I don't know about end up, but I wanted to make sure we hit this, is you said they will get themselves out. Yes. When the 
level of accountability and the level of scrutiny and uh, like you you keep calling it a shorter lease when the leash is that short they you know they'll either perform or get themselves out and so it doesn't have to be from my perspective it doesn't have to be a force from on top no it can be a natural occurrence of people taking the seats where they where where they belong well it's inventive and i'm i'm creating a language around it so they understand what we're up to together like look it's clear that when we go along a longer period of time, it doesn't get done. So let's shorten it up and let's stay close to it so we can see what we might be missing mm-hmm. in the way we're looking at this and how we're engaging it. I remember we had a, I did a turnaround some years back where we had 18 leaders on this team. And we, by the end of the the first two weeks of working with them, we, uh, 10 of them left. One got fired and we had seven who stayed in place, and the seven produced, took the organization from about a, it was a $3 million revenue, and that those seven took it to $22 million before they started adding any more execs. But we chunked, and it, and it wasn't like anybody left even angry. They got it. This isn't for them. Mm-hmm. And then the next person, then, then we take their job responsibilities, other people took them on, and we started working side by side like that. And where it wasn't working, we shortened the communication loop. That's what I mean by shortened yes. the team. It's like this will happen by right down to this is going to happen by tomorrow. If they got that short, that might start out at the end of the week, maybe midweek. If that didn't work, okay, day to day until we start to see some movement on it. We call that concentration. Okay, we're going to go into concentration and do this together. And it's an experiment for us because we're, we, we all see we don't get it. Nobody's to blame. Now what is it going to take to get it? Right on. Like, you got to have a certain attitude for that. You got to, you know. yeah. Well, mo- most you mentioned it earlier. Most folks are really scared of coming off like a micromanager. Um, yeah, this is what I would re- what I referred to as like micro accounting. So we're gonna, yeah, i.e., in, increasing the transparency. And yeah. if someone doesn't want to be transparent, then then. That's not like how long should I let them hide, which is kind of potentially yes. your question. That's yeah, and that can be a version of it for sure. If yeah. you turn the lights on, they'll show you in 24 hours if they yeah. want to or not. I mean, there's a trend. People's attitudes have momentum to them, right? So it's, it already has, you, know, you don't have to see it over a long period of time because mm-hmm. um, their attitude will shift. If they're resistant to being accountable, to giving an account in the short term, and that's plenty. That's great. That tells the story already. We know what's coming after that. So we are irresponsible if we act like it might change over time. Things multiply over time. So if I'm not accountable today, I'm going to be really not accountable a month from now. If I'm really right. accountable today, then I'll then I'll multiply that over time as well. I mean, we're all patterns in that way. So if you do what Dan's talking about, which is turning the lights on or whatever metaphor, Shortening the, shortening the leash, turning the lights on, transparency. If people are resistant to that, that's your answer. The answer is, okay, let's, this is going to get, as, as, as long as you're defining my desire for transparency as me overreaching, you ought to go find another team. Because I have the rights and privileges to have 100% transparency whenever I want and whenever I need it to get the job done. And if that's a and threat to you, I totally get it. 
And if you really care about what you're doing, why wouldn't you want to have more That's eyes on the problem that you haven't been able to solve? Right on. Like, like, like no bad on you. This is not a personal state. That's what people tend to do. They take it into their identity. And th that's why, as a, as a leader, I've got to be able to create narrative that people can separate their identity from what we're doing so they can give themselves wholeheartedly to it. And that, that takes practice and maturity. And that's, you know, I think that's part of, if I'm going to lead, that's what I'm leading. I'm working with building that kind of maturity into the organization. And when you, say so building a, when you say building a narrative, Dan, what do you mean by that? I mean, like, okay, good. Uh, so let's say I sit down with you eight and we're working it. I say, let's shorten this loop up because we, we just, we're, we're missing. And you go, well, don't you trust me? I say, why do you think it's I don't trust you? In fact, it's just the opposite. Like, tell me why you don't think I trust you. And you tell me whatever story. And I, I go, that's a narrative, right? I go, well, that's not what I'm thinking. I actually do trust you. That's why I want to get close to you. I trust that your professionalism, your ability to see what's not working is going to be heightened with another set of eyes on it. I know I get lost when I'm fully in it, and I like to have somebody else come in and look. My commitment yep. is to have the work turn out, How can I, and I'm looking for how I can stand with you. So I'm creating right. a narrative. My purpose, my vision for being with you is this. And I, I reason I speak this is because I've done the opposite, where how I went to the person was punitive, and they felt embarrassed, and then resisted me, and then I thought the game I played was, okay, go ahead, screw it up, fuck it up, go ahead, I'll show you later, right? <laughs> yeah. And then that just blew the whole thing up. I've done that a few times, right? So now you know my downside. you do know Adrian many more downsides. But, <laughs> but that's the Italian. No, that's great. Yeah, so you generate, essentially what you're doing is, and I know what you mean by generating a narrative, but it's good for people listening. What you're doing is illuminating the meaning behind, like what's sourcing the action. Yeah, my aim with you is really for you and for the organization first, and, and I know you can do this. Because if I didn't think you could do this, I, just, I, would, would, I wouldn't have you here. Uh -huh. But I know that we're both missing it, not just you. I can't see it either. So I need transparency to get in. That's that. And then I knew you were just getting me to chunk that out, but that's what I mean. But that's where that counts is in the trenches. You know, that's why I love working inside the organization more than I do outside. I love building the organization because if you get that in the culture, it breeds itself. People get excited about work because now it's about solving problems and that's fun rather mm -hmm. than you're, you're getting your identity from, your results, and now you've got to politically protect yourself so nobody sees your weaknesses. No, no, that's the exact opposite of what we're doing. Roseanne? Yeah, I, this is so good. This is where I, I wanted to get to, uh, to really flip this idea of right person in the right seat, This flip this idea on its head, because I, what I'm hearing, what I'm taking away from this conversation, where I hope we would end up, is that if you are listening to this, you're a leader, and you don't have the right people in the right seat, you might be asking yourself the wrong questions. And, and the questions that I believe will get you closer to getting the right people in the right seat is are the questions that will lead people to choose the seat they want to be in and are committed to being in. So it's not you as puppet master putting people in seats Yes, you're the leader. You're the organization. You got to make sure that the the org charts right. You got to make sure communication lines are good. 
all that sort of stuff. But what I'm talking about is something more cultural where somebody decides they want that level of accountability and transparency and they claim the seat. Uh And that is how we know we have the right person in the right seat rather than, you know, just sitting back and wondering or watching or giving them enough enough rope to hang themselves with or any of that sort of stuff. So I, I just think it's such a it's such a flip to think about if 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 I don't have people in the right seat currently in my organization, how have I created a place where people can be in the wrong seat? Yeah. Well that now you're opening up a subject for another podcast, sure. which is What's my relationship to failure? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Coming to you soon. (laughs) This is great. I I thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, Everything I hoped it would be. And uh, I think this is a really powerful opportunity for founders and leaders to take a look at who's in their organization, why they're there, and how... If they've been there for some time and they're not right for it, how have they gone this long? Mm-hmm. And that's more about, I'm going to say, that's more about the culture and the organization you've created than it is about them. Yeah. Amen. Yep. Yep. So, thanks, Jets. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks, Jed. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.